no one gave me anything in life let, let, let's put it that way apart from love and a good start and a nice family background um, anything that, that I've managed to achieve, I've, I've kind of worked my way up from the bottom and, and, and sort of really pushed out of my comfort zone. Thank you very, very much for joining us, Jeanette. Um, we're very excited to hear from you today. Um, I'm just literally just going to hand over to you because you're an amazing lady. Oh, my God, what an introduction. Well, thank you very much, Natalie. Thank you, Gerald. Lovely to see all your smiley faces. Um, those of you that haven't got your cameras on, I'm assuming you're smiling behind your cameras. Um, but it's always nice to see your lovely smiley faces if you can put your cameras on. That's always nice. Um, but listen, you know, it's a real privilege to, to be here today to be able to talk to all of you. Um, Gerald and I met through Progressive Property, actually, a while ago. Um, and we were both mentoring for Rob Moore's Business Academy at one point. Well, you were doing the speaking, Gerald, and I was kind of doing the mentoring. And, and that's where we met. And then I managed to convince Gerald to come on my podcast, Brave, Bold, Brilliant, which he agreed to. And then I was lucky enough to also have Natalie on my podcast as well. So, um, yeah, it feels like I'm back in the room with friends. So yeah, check out check out those episodes if you've not had chance to, because they are really incredible. And you're very lucky, I think, to be in this unique group uh, with Gerald and Natalie and, and everyone else in the room. So um, thank you for inviting me along again. Uh, so, you know, I, I just wanted to start really with a little bit of a, um, hi, Safina, just joining. Hi there, everyone. Um, so I just wanted to start with it with a bit of a quote, really, um, just to kick us off. And it's something that I often refer back to, and it's this, you may have heard it. Those who think they can and those who think they can't are both usually right. So has anyone heard that that saying before? Give me a little nod, yeah, a few nods. Yeah. Right, okay, cool. So that's often um, quoted as being Henry Ford, but it's actually Confucius, the Chinese philosopher, that, that first um, said that quote. And I think there's so much in that, you know, because we always have two ways of looking at the world, don't we? Whether we're talking about business, careers, our personal life, relationships, you know, the glass can always be half full or half empty. So I think that's a good way for us to kind of kick off our, our session today. Um, but before I do that, again, just wanted to say thank you to Gerald and Natalie for, for inviting me along. It is a real great honour to be able to speak with you. And, and also to all of you for being here. Um, you've got busy lives. You've got you've got stuff going on, you know, professionally, business life, personal life. So, you know, showing up is a really important thing uh, to do because very often people sign up for amazing programs like this and then weirdly they don't turn up, <laughs> which I always find bizarre actually, but you're all here. So that's great. Um, and, you know, just in terms of a little bit about me, you might be thinking, who is this gobby northern bird on the on the screen? Well, let me enlighten you a little bit. So I'm Jeanette Linfoot, uh, and I've been in business for about 30 years, both in the corporate world, but also as an entrepreneur and business owner myself. So my earlier career, I was in the travel industry primarily. So the last corporate uh, role I did was as CEO of the travel division for Saga. So some of you may have heard of Saga, which focuses on the over 50. So I ran all of their travel businesses, uh, around about 400 million of turnover, 1,700 people on my team, just to give you an idea of the scale. 
Uh, and before that, I was the managing director of what we call the emerging markets for TUI. So I used to buy, run, sell businesses in China, India, Brazil. Probably could have hooked you up with some good cigar deals, Gerald, back in the day, actually, uh, from my, t- <laughs> my time in, in those yeah. parts of the world. Um, and I also, you know, back then I also set TUI up in Russia and Ukraine, uh, which is obviously really hard seeing what's happening now. So that was by acquiring three businesses um, under a joint venture and then rebranding those to TUI. So my background really is, is in running large global travel businesses. But about four years ago, I jumped out of corporate world and, and decided to make a change. Maybe I was having a midlife crisis at the time. I was in my mid-40s at that point. Um, And I decided I really wanted more freedom, choice, flexibility in my life. So what I today, I've got um, a number of businesses. So one, as Gerald referred to, I do a lot of advisory work, still working with a lot of organizations like Virgin, uh, Accor Hotels, Manchester Airports Group. I do lots of mergers and acquisitions as well, advising businesses how to scale up and grow. I've got a mentoring business, so I work one-to-one with either senior execs or business owners that are looking to sort of scale up. I've got a property business, which is how I first came um, across Gerald, really, through Progressive. So I was actually being mentored by Rob Moore and Mark Homer, along with my partner, Chris. So we run our property business together. And then I've got my podcast, Brave, Bold, Brilliant, which, um, crazily enough, is in the top one and a half percent of all podcasts in the world. So, um, yeah, who would have thought when I was stood on the stage in London presenting the annual results at the Capital Markets Day for Saga that I would be a podcast host. I would never have thought that would have been my journey, but it just shows you anything's possible, right? Even if you don't have an absolute clear plan, it can evolve over time. So that's sort of a little bit about me. Um, But, you know, all of that sounds great. And I've been very fortunate in my life to have had some amazing roles, to have led some incredible businesses. But, you know, I'm not saying any of that to brag because at the end of the day, we all have our highs and lows. Um, So, you know, what I'm hoping to do today is to share with you some of the things that have worked for me in terms of my kind of career, business life, etc., um, some of the, the things that have not gone so well as well, because at the end of the day, we all uh, make mistakes and we fail. I would say if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough, actually. So, um, you know, all of these kind of lessons along the way, they they shape us into the people that we are, don't they? So I'm going to share with you um, quite a bit of that. But as I say, in terms of myself, I grew up in Manchester. Um, I was the youngest of three daughters. Um Grew up in a place called Stretford. So if any of you are Man United fans, you'll have heard of the Stretford End. So I literally grew up about two miles from from the ground. And um, my dad, Arthur, used to call us the Knicker Brigade, actually, because he was cursed with three daughters and was desperate for some male company. Um, But yeah, you know, happy childhood, but very much a a working class family, you know, not not from an affluent background at all. And I was uh, the only one to go to uni. So... I kind of am sharing that with you because, you know, the things that I've managed to achieve, um, no one no one gave me anything in life. Let, let, let's put it that way. Apart from love and a good start and a nice family background, 
um, anything that, that I've managed to achieve, I've, I've kind of worked my way up from the bottom um, and, and sort of really pushed out of my comfort zone. So, you know, and through through a lot of that time, I would say, you know, when I look back at my kind of early, early years, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in life, if I'm really honest. And I think a lot of people don't when you're you're kind of young and growing up. But I just had this feeling that I was different. <laughs> I felt I was a bit like the black sheep of the family in a way. So, you know, both my sisters, they settled in Manchester, got, you know, got married, had their kids um, and nothing wrong with that. You know, they chose a different path, but I just knew that my path was going to be different and it was a big wide world out there. And um, I thought, well, I've got to go and grab it. I don't know what it is, but it's something different for me. So that kind of really, you know, set me on a path. Um, which I'll share some of the highs and lows with you with you now. But, you know, I guess the reason I'm sharing some of this is because if you're the kind of person that really wants to achieve more, and I assume that most of you are probably in that category because you've signed up for this and you're, you're here with, you know, with Gerald and Natalie to help yourself scale up your business and your career, um, you know, you, you'll recognise that sometimes to do that, we have to push out of our comfort zone. And we do need to kind of take some risks as well through the process. So if you're in that mindset of wanting to scale up, grow, maybe change direction, um, I'm hoping that this will give you a bit of insight and, and support in terms of how, how you can do that. We're going to have questions as well, um, time for questions at the end. So I'll probably speak for about 20 minutes, I would say, something like that. Um, but I'm I'm an open book. What you see is what you get with me. So any questions you've got, I will always do my best to answer. Um, and there are no silly questions, of course, as we all know. So um, hopefully this is going to be um, a good session. So just actually out of interest, can I just get a sense as to who's, uh, what sort of position you're in? Are you, are most of you, anyone who's a business owner? Business owner, yeah, okay. Anyone in a job and maybe thinking of doing a bit of a side hustle or wanting to, or wanting to kind of scale up their career? Anyone in a job that wants to sort of get the next thing? Got a couple, Anita's nodding. Okay, so we've got a bit of a mixed bag here. So hopefully we'll be able to cover cover everything um, that we're gonna do. So, you know, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take you through a bit of a framework that I've sort of, I suppose, come up with over the many years in business, showing my age, all 51 years. I was feeling that this morning when I rolled out of bed at five this morning. <laughs> <laughs> no one tells you when you get over 40, about 45, that things start to hurt. No one told me this. <laughs> um but yeah so so I'm gonna um I'm gonna share with you a bit of a framework and that framework is based around my the name for my podcast as well brave bold brilliant because brave it really is about leading yourself you know kind of your mindset putting yourself in the right framework frame of mind to be able to grab those opportunities as they come up and then for me the bold is about making an impact you know, not playing small, having, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals. What do the Americans say? Having a BHAG, what's your BHAG? You know, what's your purpose? Um, and I think, you know, for me, I've always wanted to kind of do the best I can and, and never play small. So I think being bold is about the impact. Now, that just isn't always about money. It can be whatever is right for you in your life. But, you know, actually not just sitting back. 
And then the brilliance for me is about the people you meet and the journey along the way. So I'm going to kind of structure this in amongst the under those three headings, if that's okay. Um, so why does it matter? And why does any of this matter? Well, as we were saying before we actually kicked off, you know, we only have one life, don't we? And none of us know how long how long we have. Um, and, you know, for some of you, has anyone ever lost someone close to them, a friend or family member? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, most of us have, have lost someone at some point. And if you haven't, then that's great. But at some point in the future, you probably will. And I think when that happens, it does make you reevaluate things. It can often make you think, wow, you know, time is short. Let's let's make it count. So, as I say, I think so many people have these amazing dreams, things they want to achieve, businesses they want to start, new careers, places they want to visit. And they don't, you know, they don't they don't do it. And why don't they do it? probably for a number of reasons, maybe fear of failure, fear of judgment, you know, not being being comfortable. You know, I think if you're too comfortable, you're probably in a, a bit of a danger zone, actually. Um, but so often people don't fulfill those dreams. And I think that's a real shame, actually, because, as I say, we only have one life. So I'm going to try and share with you some of the things that have helped me kind of push out out of my comfort zone so let's let's get into this so brave what does bravery mean well I think it's it's sort of feeling the fear and doing it anyway and there's a book I think uh along those lines but so often you know it's been so many times when I've really had to dig deep and I thought oh my god really I don't think I can do this, you know, and I'll, I'll share with you a couple of examples of that. But being, you know, working on yourself and making sure that you're in a position where you get comfortable being uncomfortable, I think is really important. So, you know, one example of this is when I was, I mentioned when I was at TUI and I was the managing director of the emerging markets and I got asked to go to Russia. And my old boss at the time, Richard Prosser, said to me, hey, how do you fancy going to Russia to buy three businesses under a joint venture partnership with one of Russia's oligarchs, Mr. Mordashov, and then you're going to rebrand those businesses and their 600 retail stores <laughs> and bring it to the market. I was terrified. My first response was, oh, my God, I can't do this. I've never done any corporate finance. I don't speak Russian. I've never lived or, you know, based myself overseas. Oh, my God. No, no, I can't do it. So all those kind of doubts were kicking in. But you know what? I just had to have a serious word with myself um, and pull my big girl pants up and said, right, OK, just grab the opportunity, say yes, and figure out how I was going to do it later. And that was such a turning point for me in my career because it set me on a path where I then sort of scaled up and I got to work and run businesses all over the world. If I had not said yes to that first opportunity, you know, my life would have been very different. It might, I'm not saying it would have been worse, but it certainly would have been different. So very often, I think one of the things that's helped me is I ask myself, well, how bad can it be? How bad can it can it be? And as long as no one's going to die in this situation, which is obviously terrible thinking about Russia and Ukraine now, but, you know, then actually anything else is upside. And if I mess it up, 
I'm going to have learned something and I can always come back, can't I, if I really make a mess of it. So I think, you know, pushing out of your comfort zone and being brave in that way is so important. And then the second thing I would say about being brave is, is kind of working on yourself every day. You know, we're all work in progress. I mean, Gerald, you're constantly on your bike, cycling, continuing to improve your health and your well-being. You know, for other people, it might be around learning a new skill, you know, educating yourself, reading some stuff, listening to podcasts. You know, so I, I would encourage you all, you know, when you're when you're pushing out of your comfort zone and being brave, a lot of it is about personal development as well. You know, the fact that you're all here supporting each other, learning from each other is personal development, right? Um, and it's going to change the way that you move forward, for sure. So I would always genuinely ask yourself every day, you know, what have I done today to improve myself? You know, what have I learned that I didn't know yesterday? And, and have I grown in confidence and self-belief? Because that mindset piece is, is absolutely critical. And... Um, so then the next thing I want to talk about is failure. Has anyone ever failed in this room, in this virtual room? Anyone failed? Anyone messed up? Show your hand if <laughs> no, you have. never, ever at all. <laughs> well, you know what? That's great because, you know, you're going to fail, right? We're going to fail at stuff. We're human beings. We're, we're all perfectly imperfect, I think. Um, but it is so interesting because... I think the attitude to failure is, is is an interesting one. You know, if you're in America, I would say they probably have a bit of a healthier approach to failing as a general rule. I think in, in the UK, Brits, we, we often seem to take satisfaction when we see other people, you know, fail. Um, so it's not a nice trait. But the reality is that's where the growth comes, isn't it? When we mess things up, when we're at the it, it's sometimes our darkest moments and you feel like you're just in the worst place, actually, that's normally when you'll look back and go, I learned so much. It was the best thing that happened to me, you know, and, and I think failure is, is a really important thing because you're going to have highs, lows, you're going to have rainy days, sunny days. That's normal. And um, I'm watching, actually, at the moment, I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix, a documentary with Arnie, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's a three-part documentary. And in that, he, he Arnie talks a lot about failure. He, he has a great quote that I love, and it says, you can't always win, but don't be afraid to fail. And I think that's really spot on. We have to remind ourselves constantly it's okay to fail because we're going to learn. And I have failed at stacks of stuff absolutely loads you know i've had a, i've had situations where deals have not gone right where i've relocated my entire life you know we moved up to manchester for to invest it continue investing in our property business we hated it you know but i learned something we still grew the business but actually you know i would rooted my life from kingston in surrey to manchester and now we've uprooted again and we're down in in south wales but even though it was a really tough time, I didn't see it as failure. I saw it as another step in the journey. So for you, whatever you're trying to achieve, you know, genuinely don't be afraid to give it a go because you will learn something or you might be massively successful. And then how, how cool is that? So and then the last thing I want to talk about in terms of kind of being brave is 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 being comfortable being you. And, and the reason I say that is. So many times through my career, I've I've worried so much about what other people would say 
and what other people thought about me that it held me back. And, you know, the old imposter syndrome has been a regular visitor in my life, let me tell you. Um, that gremlin inside your head saying you're not good enough, you don't fit in, you know, all of these different sort of, you know, things that can go through our mind can be so damaging. Um, but the thing is, there's only one of you. Uh, you know, what's the saying? Be yourself, everyone else is taken. And I think that's so true. But when you really sort of embrace how amazing you are, because you are all amazing, then it's liberating and you take accountability for your own life. Um, it, it really does set you free. You know, so, I mean, I've, I've had lots of examples in my career where I've really thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I just can't do this or I don't feel good enough. And almost putting on a persona to fit in um, an actual fact, I don't fit in necessarily. And that's OK. I'll find my own tribe. But, um, you know, I remember the when I first got a, my very first job. When I graduated from university with my, I did an economics degree and I graduated from Leeds, I um, I wanted to stay up north and I graduated in 93, massive recession going on at the time. I was applying for hundreds of jobs, literally hundreds, and I was getting rejection after rejection after rejection. Even rugby cement turned me down, you know. McCain oven chips did not want me either, but I persevered. <laughs> And eventually I got a job as a government economist. So this was before my career in travel. So I moved to London and, you know, I said, I'll give it two years. They, they all drink shandy down there. They're all really posh and us northerners don't fit in. So this was the story I told myself. But I moved to London and then nearly nearly 30 years later, still still uh, got, got a home in London. Um, but that very first job as a government economist 80% of the people in those roles had gone to Oxford or Cambridge and I went to Leeds. So I had this whole imposter thing going on saying, oh my God, you know, I can't survive here. I'm going to get found out I'm not good enough, etc." But of course it's nonsense. You know, it's, it is nonsense, but that's how, how my mind was at the time. You know, I remember getting my first director position at First Choice, a company called First Choice, which is one of the big travel businesses. And I was the only woman in the boardroom, the only woman. Now, things have shifted now, but still, that was a frightening place for me to be. Um, so I think, you know, honestly, that positive self-talk, realising that you, you, know, you are good enough is so important. So if any of you ever have those feelings of imposter syndrome, you know, just kick it into touch. <laughs> Does anyone ever feel like that, actually, those imposters, that, that feeling of not being good enough or going to get found out or don't speak in the right way? Anyone? I can see Safina uh, nodding. Roland, yeah, Michaela. Jez, nice to see you, Jez. How are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, so, so, you know, we all, a lot of us have it. A lot of us have it. But the thing is, uh, you are good enough. You know, becoming a property investor for the first time. We all only know what we know. We're learning, aren't we? But you can do anything you want with the right mindset. So that's a whole big piece around being brave, you know, being brave, pushing out of your comfort zone. And then when it comes to being bold, for me, this is about impact. You know, and the first thing I would say is get super clear on what you want. What's your purpose? What do you really want from life? Why are you getting out of bed in the morning? What's your reason why? You know, because if you know what you want, it's a lot easier to get there. 
You know, it's a bit like, I don't know, an airline pilot flying a plane. If he doesn't know where, where the destination is, it's going to be flying around aimlessly, you know, using a lot of fuel and, you know, polluting the planet, right? So if you know where you're going, you're more likely to get there. So get really clear on, on your purpose and start with that why. There's a great book, actually, if you've not read it, by Simon Sinek called Start With Why?, really recommend you reading that because it just helps you and you know if you have a clear purpose when the times get tough because they will it will keep you focused it will keep you grounded and it will keep you reminding you why you're putting the effort in so getting really clear on your purpose is going to and you know for me I know what my purpose is now in life I'm 51 years old I am clear on my purpose <laughs> finally and my purpose in life is to unlock greatness in myself and others by being brave bold and brilliant that's it so what started out as a sort of a title for a podcast has very much become a framework of the way I live my life and how I encourage everyone else to to do that as well but getting clear on what you want can be really really um empowering I think the other thing is around making a difference, you know, so not playing small. And by small, I don't mean that everyone has to have global domination, you know, or, or you know, have huge goals. But whatever is big in your world, go for it, you know, because actually who wants average when you can have amazing, you know? So I think making a difference, whether that's for your loved ones, your customers, you know, your teams, anyone who's in your business, you know, and I think also as part of being bold, it means making the tough calls, doesn't it? It means making those big decisions um, in terms of maybe starting a business, closing a business, investing some of your property investors. You know, you've got to make the tough calls. And when things don't go wrong, when things don't go right and they go wrong, sometimes you have to, you have to, you know, think again and make a different choice. And that's okay, but making the tough calls is is so important. And at the end of the day, when things do go wrong, you have a choice, don't you? You can either sit on the pity potty or you can pull yourself up. So which one, <laughs> which one are you going to choose? You know, again, it's linked to that initial kind of quote, those who think they can and those who think they can't are both usually right. So it's a choice. So being bold is about making those tough calls. And sometimes people think that if they don't make a decision, that then that's not, not a decision. Well, that is still a decision, you know? So just going to come to the last block of this framework for you about brilliant. Um, so brilliant for me is all about people. It's about the journey, the experiences, the fantastic, you know, personalities that you meet along the way. And, you know, that being in a group like this is great because you get exposure to people that you wouldn't normally get to know just in your everyday life. Um, so I think, you know, oh, Elaine's, Elaine's having a nice conversation. Maybe she's chatting with her team. I'm going to talk about teams in a minute. Um, so being brilliant is, is also about building great teams. 
Um, because, you know, you have to realize that as a business leader, you can't do it all. And it's actually by building really strong teams that you're going to get where you want to get to. That might be a team of two, by the way, or a team of three. It doesn't have to be a huge team, but having the right people is so, so important. You know, and I think winning together or not at all, that's a high performing team. You know, Gerald mentioned earlier that I've been doing a lot of advisory work with um, a, bit, a large hotel group called Accor Hotels. So Accor own everything from Ibis, Swissitel, Mercure, Novotel, Orient Express, Raffles, the Savoy, Glen Eagles. They're huge, huge organization. They're the largest hospitality business in Europe, Asia and Pacific. And I've been advising their board. And one of the things that we've been focusing on is high performance. What does a high performing team look like? What does a high performing board look like at that level? But this applies whether you're um, a small business owner, which some of you may be, or if you're running a large team, you know, it's all about the people. You know, and a good example of this is when I when I went into Saga, you know, this was a business that had been in terminal decline for 10 years. Saga holidays, right? It was the the brand was 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 outdated. You know, proposition wasn't clear. They had no systems in place, but they had some really good people in the business. But they also had a number of people that actually didn't want to be part of the future and it wasn't appropriate. They were part of the future. So, you know, during the few years I was at Saga, I got that business back into double digit growth. I doubled the EBITDA, the profit performance, but I couldn't have done it without having the right people on the team. And that involved me making quite a lot of tough choices as well. You know, there were some people that had been very kind of repressed, really, in the environment. It had been very much command and control. And then given the right environment, they flourished. It was like finding some diamonds in the rough that just needed polishing. You know, and as I say, there were some people that, that just weren't going to be part of the future. And that was OK as well. So, you know, actually putting investment into your teams is, is where the brilliance happens, in my opinion. Um, and as a leader, it's OK to not know everything. As I say, smart leaders surround themselves with the right people. That's that's really what, you know, what a good leader is all about. And then what I would also say is just who you have in your life. Think about the people that you spend time with. You know, are those people lifting you up, supporting you, or are they holding you down? You know, and has anyone ever had anyone, anyone in their life that hasn't been so supportive? I've had quite a few. Yeah, a few of you. And it's hard because sometimes those are people that are the closest to you. Might be family, might be friends. So, you know, I would just encourage you to have a really good hard look at who you've got in your life. Have you got the right people around you that are going to support you with your dreams? Or do you need to make some choices about reducing the amount of time with certain individuals? My old boss used to say, Jeanette, there are two types of people in life. There are sappers that just suck the oxygen out of the room. Anyone ever had any of them in their lives? Jesus Christ, I've had quite a few of them over the years. And then there are zappers, those people that energize you, they make you feel good, they make you feel warm, that you can take on the world. So fill your life full of zappers and let's ditch the sappers. <laughs> I'm being a bit harsh. Um, but yeah, so so listen, those are just a few thoughts really around being brave, bold and brilliant. As I say, I've made lots of mistakes over the years. I've been knocked back for promotions. I've had business ventures that have flopped. 
you know, loads of things that have gone wrong. But um, I think if you can really believe in yourself, you know, be brave and push out, be bold, make the biggest impact and surround yourself with the right people, you know, and in that whole brilliant state, that's when you're going to make the progress that we were talking about earlier. So, um, so yeah, so that was all I was going to cover. More than happy to take questions, thoughts, etc. And I hope it's maybe given you a few things to, to think about on your business and career journey as well. Over to you, Gerald. Yes, thank you very much, Jeanette. That was um, brilliant and bold and <laughs> the other two things. Really enjoyed it. A lot of life's lessons there. And I love the uh, sitting on the pity potty that sums up so much of what you get from people, uh, you know, just complaining that their lot is unfair well life as my mother always used to say to me when I fell over and cut my knee and said to her, it's not fair she said life's not fair and all these people that you know sit on that pity potty is it pity potty yeah pity potty, pity potty yeah yeah it gets you nowhere it gets you absolutely nowhere where you will not achieve anything by being a victim you know 100% and People, you won't get any sympathy, you won't get any empathy, you won't get anything. So I love the, I love the talk. Anyway, I'm not... Um, well, I've got questions. Was anybody else... Um, would anybody like to ask Jeanette a question? I'm sure, sure. Yes. Please don't hold back. Just put your hand up and ask the question. Jacqueline, okay. go first. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, thank you for a fantastic... Um, uh, talk really is really really interesting um and for recommending that the the book you mentioned um and I, I was just wondering you know if, if you're not super clear um how to get super clear and I know you recommended the book around you know really understanding why um and I was wondering does that link to having inspiration as well so you know who inspires you um or where do you get your inspiration from and then how do you get super clear yeah, brilliant. Great, absolutely great question, Jacqueline. Um, and it's exactly what I spend a lot of time when I'm working with people one to one. The first thing I'll do is try and help them get really clear. And, and there are two ways of doing it, Jacqueline, really. There's almost like a top down approach, let's let, let's let's say, or a bottom up approach. So the top down approach, I, I use what I call a vision cascade model, where we sort of start with the big picture, you know, all the, those big, hairy, hairy, audacious goals, you know, what's my purpose in life? What do I want written on my gravestone? Why do I exist? All of that kind of stuff. And then break it down into focus areas and then into sort of specifics that you're trying to achieve in each of those. So that's one way of doing it. And I've got um, I've got a model. I'm more than happy to, to send it to Natalie and Gerald to share with you, which you can you can use the materials. I'm more than happy to let you have that. Uh, but that's one way. The other way, Jacqueline, a lot of people do struggle with this because they feel they should know but they don't and and I've been at times like that in my career where you're so busy just kind of doing stuff you know that you, you don't necessarily stop and think so another way to do it is almost like a bottom up and I've done this myself as well where I literally would get a blank sheet of paper and I would write down everything I want everything from as little small things you know I want a new car or I want a holiday in Mallorca or you know materialistic things or to the big things just 
anything you can think of that you want and you keep writing until you have literally exhausted everything and it will look like you have vomited all over the page right you might be writing for an hour you might only be writing for 10 minutes and you can always go back to it but what you will then do is you can start pulling together almost you'll see some patterns forming some themes there might be something around around health there might be something around financial security. There might be something around business. There might be something around giving back or philanthropy. So over time, you can then sort of start grouping things together. And then once you've got that, it will help you come up with like, you know, what that big kind of purpose is. So so I often encourage people to try both of those. As I say, I'm more than happy to send you some materials, which I'll, I'll send via Natalie. Um, and I think inspiration is important. You know, we get inspired in so many ways, don't we? It could be people we're spending time with. It could be things we're listening to. It could just be in nature, you know, just being out in the countryside or, or whatever. Or I love being near water. You know, I live by the coast now, so I, I'm looking out the back, our back garden here on the beach and the, the coast. I, I get an energy from that. Um, so inspiration comes in all shapes and forms. And I think sometimes don't force it. You know, just really try and give yourself that headspace, that time for yourself, even if it's just a quick, you know, walk for half an hour or take yourself off somewhere, go and sit in a coffee shop, get out of your normal environment uh, will help, I think, with that clarity. Um in terms of who inspires me, uh, well, loads of people inspire me. Uh, my partner, Chris, is a massive, big inspiration for me. I know it sounds a bit corny, but he's like my biggest, he's my biggest fan, but he's also my biggest critic as well. And it is tough love in our house. But let me tell you, sometimes it's brutal, um, but always from a good place. So, so Chris, having the right people in your life, you know, in terms of whether it's a romantic relationship or friends or whatever, is important. But I, I get a lot of inspiration from, you know, I suppose entrepreneurs that are prepared to give it a go and not be too worried about failure. I mean, you know, you've got the classics, haven't you? You've got Branson, for example. If you actually look at Richard Branson's business portfolio, he's had loads of failures, loads of failings, you know, but he's always kind of trying new stuff. Um, you know, I I, I tell you who who is one of my idols, which is probably possibly unexpected, Dolly Parton. I love Dolly, I, and I'm not a massive country country music person. I love Dolly because she she's funny. She's unashamedly unapologetic about how she looks, what she stands for. She is a super savvy businesswoman and really creative. So I I just love that. I love that you know the fact that she's kind of just out there at at her age, still giving it loads. Um, so yeah, but I think inspiration's all around, isn't it? Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, Jeanette. It's Hi, Sophia. So to finally meet you, even if it's just virtual. Um, yeah, so my question is, in terms of your business, because you, you've accomplished so much, you've got M&A, you've got property investing, everything, what do you focus on currently? Yeah, great question, because it is hard when you've got multiple businesses, actually. So I have to be absolutely ruthless with my diary really ruthless in my diary. So with my mentoring, for example, you know, I, I I put dedicated time in slots in my diary to make sure that I'm doing all of my mentoring sessions, et cetera. Um, and I'm able to support the people I work with in that, in that sense. At the moment, I, 
I'm doing more on the advisory side of things. So because I've got multiple businesses and different income streams, sometimes I will flex up or flex down depending what's going on. So we've I've been focusing more on my advisory business at the moment. In particular, I'm doing this big piece of work with a core hotel. So I've spent nearly three months of this year over in Singapore and Australia with a core and supporting their exec board. So I've naturally had to kind of readjust um, the amount of time that I can give to other things. So I've had to make a choice. And in this, at the moment, I'm saying, therefore, I'm not going to do any major, I haven't done any major property developments in the last few months because I've been focusing over there on that big opportunity. So I kind of shift my time and focus depending on what's kind of coming up. So I'm I'm able to do that, but being really, really, really disciplined with my diary is the only way I can do it, Safina. So, and I will have a, you know, a declutter regularly. I'll look at, you know, when you have recurring meetings and things like that in the diary, I'll say, do I need them? Are they serving me now or, or should I be getting, getting rid of them? Um, but yeah, it is quite difficult when you've got multiple things going on, but that's how I do it. Um, I don't know if that's answered the question, Safina. But the other thing I would say is that with my podcast, um, the the reason that's been successful is because I've been consistent. I've had two episodes every single week for the last three years. I never miss. But the way that I do that is by banking my content, being very organized way up front so that I've always got, say, two, two months content. Um, so that I'm not then panicking, going, oh, my gosh, I haven't got any an episode this week. So, again, and having a great team that allows me to, to do that. So I find great guests like Gerald and Natalie, interview them. Um, and then, you know, actually the process, the systemization of, of it happening just takes care of itself, really. So, yeah, that, that's kind of how I, I approach things, Safina. I don't always get it right. I'm naturally, I take on too much. It's in my nature to do that. So I, I have to watch out because I could work 24-7. Seriously, I love business, I love people, but the watch out for me is not getting enough downtime. So I'm not necessarily the best example, Safina, of getting that balance, <laughs> shall we say. Um, that's been really useful. Yeah, I can resonate with some, some of that. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Anyone else with a question? Don't be shy. Can I ask one? Of course, Jess. Uh, Jeanette, great to see you again. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I love the fact that you you talked about failure. Obviously, when you uh, you came on my podcast, we obviously talked about uh, a lot about that. So it's great to kind of hear you talk about that uh, in in more depth as well. Um, well, I've got two questions, but I will I will sort of maybe go to the second, which is. You talked about um, how when you're working with those hotel groups, you're talking about high performance. Um, what does what does that look like? What are your kind of best advice for getting, I, I suppose it's high performing teams is maybe what you're talking about. Um, and I, I suppose making people, as you say, come out or, or become their best selves. What are your advice in, in those scenarios to those businesses you're working with about getting the best out of people and making them high performing? Yeah, so great question, Jez. I mean, essentially, there are six characteristics of a high-performing team. Uh, there are different models out there, but the model that I use has six characteristics. Um, so, you know, the first one is about having a common per an aligned purpose. 
accepted leadership. So, you know, the leader is respected and has has you know, the mandate and the gravitas to deliver um, communication processes. Um, I'm now trying to remember the other two. <laughs> you got me on the, the other two. But what I would do is I would, how I work with them is, is we would score where we are now against each of those characteristics on a score of one to five. So I get each member of the, of the team that I'm working with to privately score where they think the team is on against those six characteristics, score of one to five, one being low, five being high. And then I get them to come up, write up their scores, and then I'll work out what the average is. So I'll say, okay, as a collective, indicative view of where we are, this is how we're doing at the minute. And what that then allows us to see, Jez, is where are, where are we doing pretty well? And actually, we you know we're in a good shape. Oh, oh, clear roles and responsibilities is another one. You know, making sure you've got the right right uh, roles and responsibilities. Um, and and then we'll say, okay, are there any areas which are scoring lower, and therefore why is that, and what do we need to do to improve? And then that then leads into very specific actions. And then the other, the final part I would do with this is say, okay, if we're sitting here in twelve months' time, what do you want this to look like? We're doing this again. It fast forward 12 months. How are we doing in terms of common purpose? How are we doing on communication? How are we doing on roles and responsibilities, processes, etc.? Um, so that we've got, you know, it's not an exact science, it's a feel from the team, but it gives a, a, a line in the sand today, an aspiration in 12 months' time, and also some very specific actions as to how they can improve in those key areas. Um, so that that's 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 how I how I work, Jez. Uh, but it is about the team. No, that's great. That's that's a really useful framework. Just out of interest, because it's you know something that I or we struggle with in our business is people. You know, I think it's a common theme across business. People and recruitment is some of the hardest um, challenges that we have as uh, a sort of business owners. But just. I suppose zooming out to your experience at sort of corporate level and advising these big companies as well, what are their challenges in terms of people? And are they similar to, you know, looking at sort of SMEs essentially? Yeah, I mean, the simple answer is yes, it's similar, Jez, you know, because I think recruiting talent into a business can often be could be difficult. And arguably in a smaller business, it, it it's actually can be even more difficult because you've got fewer roles. So therefore, you know, as a proportion of, of effort and resources, you know, if you've got 10 people in your business, well, then, you know, one person accounts for 10%. Whereas if you've got you know, hundreds of people in your business, if you have one person that's not performing as a, you know, overall, it's not going to have such an impact. So um, recruiting talent is is uh, always difficult. I mean, I think, you know, for certain biz, certain sectors, travel, leisure, hospitality in particular, has had the heart ripped out of it during COVID, uh, more so than any other industry, because a lot of these businesses went like literally from whatever, you know, revenue they had to zero revenue overnight. Um, but you still had to service the existing bookings and guests, etc. So it's been very, very difficult for the industry. And a lot of people have left. A lot of people have moved on and realized they can do more. They can make more money by being an Amazon driver or, or whatever. So a lot of talent has been lost. So one of the things that 
um, certainly a core are doing, just as a as a as an example is, whereas before they may have been recruiting people that stay with them for a very long time and have a, a long career with them. Yes, of course, you still aspire to that. But actually what they're saying is for a lot of those front facing, customer facing roles, whether it's, you know, in F&B, receptionist, et cetera, um, they're saying, let's get great people, even if they're only with us for a short period of time. You know, so, so someone might only be with you for six months, but actually let's provide a really great experience for that six months. So much more of a, a kind of, I suppose, more fluid uh, recruiting policy. Having a role in recruitment policy can help as well. You know, so that you're not having stop, start, and lots of gaps. Um, but yeah, it's always challenging. I think be really clear, and also people want flexibility, don't they? Um, I think Elaine's Elaine's chatting. Um, I mean, people want a lot of flexibility in the way that they work. So you have to be able to offer probably different things in today's world than than in the past around flexible working, and maybe additional benefits that aren't all linked to salary. Uh, so I think you've got to be a little bit more creative and maybe look outside of your existing sectors right, and think really about good. transferable skills more and don't close down potential applicants just because they haven't no, got direct experience in your sector. Yeah, no, that's super useful. I think, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, uh, I think we're in a new world for recruitment and probably across multiple industries. And we have to approach it very differently to the past. And as you say, you know, the sort of um, days of people staying in one job in one company are completely gone. So that that means the old way of, of doing things in terms of recruitment and loyalty needs to be kind of ripped up and, and started again, really. What yeah. I'd like yeah. to add to this um, staff issue and morale, which is very important. I, I've always felt that morale is probably the most important thing in a business. If everybody is enjoying their work they're going to do it a hell of a lot better and i'm just reading that we've now got two and a half million people that are off sick uh, on a permanent basis and most of those the ones where the where there's a 25 percent no it's a 45 percent increase is the young the 16 to 30s and when you look at companies with huge warehouses and the only contact that those staff have is with a robot telling them what to pick off the shelves. And then they're monitored to go to the toilet in two and a half minutes. I mean, that is not, that's going to end in tears. That's, people cannot sustain that type of um, job. Uh, and they are obviously going to suffer with anxiety and depression if that's the way you treat staff. So, you know, treating staff well is such a great way of making profit, of, of improving your business. And we seem to have lost that lesson with a lot of big, bigger companies. Yeah, I think you're right, Gerald. And it's not all about the money. I mean, obviously, people need to have, you know, a fair a fair reward, don't they, in terms of their fa the financials. But actually, I think, you know, it's I think it's proven that very often people will join brands and they leave bosses 
<laughs> because maybe they haven't got that relationship or that personal connection. Just really simple things, you know, saying thank you for a job well done, a handwritten card to say, you know, you did amazing on that product. You know, these little things, it doesn't all have to cost money, but how people feel about being part of an organization, I think is is absolutely critical. You're right, Gerald, but it's not all about money, is it? It's it's the other things. No, and the Americans have always been good about rewarding their staff. And we always used to laugh about it because they kept giving out certificates and awards and stuff like that. But it's recognition. Yeah. Um, which is, is so important. Yeah, we used to do I used to do a thing at um, Saga, actually, with guests and with uh, the teams called Delight and Surprise. So it would be the stuff that's not baked into people's package or whatever, but it would be, you know, a bottle of champagne sent to their sent to the house to say thank you ever so much. You did it. You did a great job. You know, these little small things that are just sort of out of the ordinary. Or you know, I've had it where I don't know, someone's done an amazing thing, and I've just said, you know, there's two hundred quid. Take your you take your husband out for for dinner. You know, and and normally people are like, wow, really? Gosh. You know, and actually it doesn't cost a lot, but recognizing and rewarding is is key. So yeah, I think get get creative, Jez, is the um is is the is the answer, you know, in terms of recruiting, retaining, and developing people. Start so, giving over uh, up and beyond what their normal salary is, whether it's monetary or not. I know that advertising agencies, when somebody, an account manager pull gets a new client. They always send them, you know, a bottle of champagne or a case of wine or chocolates or something like that. And I know somebody who went around giving 50 pound notes to his staff because they pulled off a deal, personally walked around, you know, it works yeah. so well. Does that help, Jez? Yeah, it does. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, as it's just a good reminder that, as you say, it can be the small things that don't necessarily cost the earth that actually make the difference. It's that personal touch, I think, a bit like dealing with clients. You know, those personal touches are the thing that may make the difference. Mm, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Welcome. Jeanette, I've got a question, if that's all right. Of um, course. Thank you very much for, for your for your talk. Very inspiring. Um, question. The, my question is relating to actually being a, a woman in business. It's much, much harder, I suppose. Well, that's my experience, at least, uh, from, uh, uh, from, from a female uh, perspective. So um, my question is, uh, how are you doing it? <laughs> <laughs> Great question, Anita. Uh, my, it's evolved over the years. Let let me let me say, um, and I think some of it comes with a little bit more, um, a little bit more, I suppose, getting older and a little bit wiser. Um, but I would, I would, I think when I was earlier in my career, I remember the world's moved on, Anita. So it's not, it's not. Thankfully, it's not quite as. Um, it's not quite as bad as it used to be uh, for, for women, um, but but still, there's still work to be done. But I think I used to think I had to behave more like a man to get on. And actually, that 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 was the wrong thing to do. You know, so so I think being, you know, it's not about better or worse. It's not about women being better or, you know, or men being better. We bring a different perspective and all of those perspectives are valued. So I think the first thing is you've got to kind of get your head in the right place and realize that 
as a woman, you bring something slightly different to the table than, than a man, right? Not, not better or worse, just different. And I think, you know, I sort of, I suppose, embrace my... <laughs> my my feminine side I stopped wearing the very androgynous trouser suits that I used to wear when I was first kind of climbing the corporate ladder and I started you know I was thinking well why don't I dress like this out in out of work so why am I dressing like that in work because I think that's what I should be doing so I and I got some feedback ones from from my team um that said you know you know really professional blah blah blah, blah all this kind of good stuff but then said bit intimidating always in a suit always in a trouser suit I've never really realized it and I thought god yeah I actually am coming across a bit you know so I changed it was a good excuse to go shopping as well right so I changed my you know my style so I, I just thought well no I am a woman if I want to wear a, a, a colorful dress and a jacket and mix it up I will and I felt much more me so I wasn't putting on a show um, I was just being much more myself. So, and I think the other thing I that's worked for me is I always used to think, well, if I walk into the room thinking there's going to be a problem because I'm the only woman in the, in the boardroom and I've badged myself as that, there probably will be. So I just tried to sort of say, I'm just going to do the best I can. I'm going to do the best I can. And also, you know, if I'm, if I'm not everyone's bag, that's okay. Maybe I'm not everyone's cup of tea and I'm all right with that now, you know? So I think a lot of it is around just getting comfortable being you and, and having the confidence to, to put yourself out in a way that's congruent with your values. Because the reality is when you try to be something that you're not, one, it's bloody exhausting. Mm. And two, people generally will smell that, the sense that you're not being your true self. And then that's not going to kind of make people believe in, in you so much. So I think it's just a case of recognising all the great skills that you have um, and, and not having to fight fire with fire. I don't think you have to be a certain way just to compete in a man's world. You don't be yourself. So, I mean, that's kind of how I've done it, but it's taken quite a lot of time. I mean, maybe I'm just getting to the stage where it's not that I don't care what people think about me. I do care, but I care less. As long as the people that matter to me, you know, I, I'm doing good by them, then that, that's fine. So, yeah, that's probably a few a few pointers, Anita. Lovely, lovely. Thank you very much. Lots to think about, then definitely apply. <laughs> I love that, it's so true. I think one thing is so important, be yourself. Because it just, and you see people on the other side of the coin, you see people trying to talk to you and sell you something and you can see they're not being themselves you can see right through it as you say you can smell it and yes you might not be perfect but people don't want perfect you know the warts and all it doesn't matter as long as you're honest and yourself and I think that and so many people make that mistake and they try and um, name drop or, or talk about how much they've got and all that sort of stuff and it, it just comes across that they've got no self-esteem whatsoever, that they've got to put up this whole facade in front to try and impress people. Yeah. So I think that's such good advice, Jeanette. Can you give us some property tips? I see all these people, um, you know, when I've done the Cayman Islands with Rob and Mark, and I have to say Mark is absolutely brilliant. I mean, I owned a lot of property in the way of shops and stuff like that, but I never really understood it how to make money uh, 
and 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 I see all these people, including Natalie, if you don't mind me saying so, who started, you know, with very little and have learned a lot from these guys and have become very successful. Uh, I've I've seen loads of them on in the Cayman Islands and Dubai and in Peterborough, not quite as glamorous. Um, so in 10 seconds, can you give us everything you you know about how to make money in property? Seconds. Wow. Well, I think, first of all, understand why you're doing it and what you're trying to achieve in the first place. Is it to replace your income? Is it to create long term wealth? You know, and how much time and effort are you prepared to put into whatever you do with property? Because everyone here that's into property and Natalie included will tell you it is not easy. It is not like you read in the textbooks. So things will go wrong and everything. And in the current environment, I would also say, you know, don't. Don't stretch yourself, don't overstretch yourself to the point that you are desperately worried about stuff because all it takes is a shift in the interest rates, things go all of a sudden a buy to let where you were making a couple of hundred quid a month, now it's loss making. So you've got to build in some slack, in my opinion, Gerald. So yes, push and, and go for it. But be clear on why you're doing it, what you're trying to achieve. And, and I think liquidity is important. Having a little bit, you know, so it's not so tightly stretched. If one thing goes wrong, you, you're really in a bad position. Now, that could be from having money coming in from somewhere else. It might be a little bit of a little bit of a cushion in how you've done your forecasting or your budget or your numbers. But that, that's what I would say. And, and things change. You've got to keep ahead of the game, you know, and patience patience you know sometimes knowing when not to do a deal is as as important as going ahead and doing the deal um you know so we've had we've been fortunate with our property business but you know there's a couple of our buy to lets now where they're borderline whereas 12 months ago they weren't they were they were they were good you know so if i had everything resting on that feeding my kids and paying my mortgage and stuff then i'd be in a bit of a sticky wicket but, you know, Gerald, sorry, that's not 10 seconds. <laughs> I could go on no, for a long was, time. I was trying to be funny. It didn't work. <laughs> but, um, Property's a yeah, great no, thing, though. Uh, you're right in putting that uh, red flag up as well, because of all the people that I've also seen making a whole lot of money, I've seen some real nightmare stories. Um, I'm old enough to remember the crash of 73. There you go. That tells you something. Mm. Uh, then yeah. the crash of 90. Um, you know, and I've seen all these people who've made absolute fortunes and gone and sunk uh, because of, and it is often about interest rates. And interest rates inevitably are going to have a detrimental effect on uh, property. And I think, I think having multiple streams of income, you know, which Rob talks about a lot, but in reality, if you've got cash coming in in different, you've got different buckets of money. Let's just say in simple terms. When one's up, that's great. Another one might be down and you can balance it over or you can de-risk. But if you've got everything, if you've got everything on black, you know, that's that's a much more of a squeaky bum time than um, excuse my French, than than if you know you've got different pots that you can play with. Even if they're only small pots, it's still helpful to have a little bit of mix in your income streams. One of the most successful retailers years ago, none of you will remember it, was Great Universal Stores, who they started the Littlewoods catalogue and they had um, they owned Burberry's and they owned uh, Hepworth. They owned a group of 
um, different retailers. And through recession and through boom, they always did well because they had such a diverse portfolio. And they would, when things were going badly in one particular sector, they would concentrate on the one that's going well because mm. they had they they had a finger in every single pie, and that's why they always did well. Um, and I think that you know, on a smaller scale, it applies to us. That yeah. I've got sort of four or five different things, balls juggling in the air. And I will always concentrate on the ones that, and it's lucky I did that because during the pandemic, I have my speech side of things, like the travel, as you were saying, fell off the cliff. It didn't exist. I did one or two Zoom things, which was a disaster because I rely on humour and that doesn't work so well on Zoom as you're seeing today. But um so yeah, it's it, there's so much to be said for for spreading your risks like that. It, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah, hundred percent. And and Gerald, I had a similar thing. You know, just before COVID, I was working on three deals, three acquisitions. I was buying two businesses for Manchester Airports Group, and I was buying another travel business for a private equity house. And these are sort of mid-sized de- deals, so sort of hundred million plus. And, you know, lucrative would have been very lucrative for me. And I was going to take, you know, non-exec director positions, post post deal, et cetera, have a success fee baked into my terms and all of this. And then, of course, COVID hit. Well, how do you value a travel business during a global pandemic? Well, you don't. And those deals disappeared overnight, literally gone. And that was sort of, you know, a big chunk of our earnings. Now, thankfully... I had a few other things. We had property. You know, I, I then started my mentoring business, which has been fantastic. I started the podcast because I had a little bit more time. That's not to make money. That's just because I was interested. But, you know, again, do you sit on the pity potty and go, oh, my God, all our earnings have just disappeared overnight or 90 percent? Or do you go, OK, we've got a little bit of liquidity here. We're fine. OK. And then what What am I going to do else? What else am I going to do creatively? Because things can happen. You can't control everything. You can control how you respond to them. So, yeah, Gerald, I, 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 I hear you about the speaking uh, gigs that you had that disappeared overnight, more or less. Um, it's hard, wasn't it? Hard time for every, a lot of people. It was, it was a terrible time. Uh, you know, nobody gets feels sympathetic for me. Because everybody, <laughs> so many people were just worse off than me. Uh, but yeah, no, it's like when I have the Grand National, I always back about four horses or something like that because one's going to fall. And for sure, if you if you're just in one business at the moment, it's not going to go. Business is not like that. It, it, it's it, it goes up and you go down, and um, that's the beauty of being able to then jump on another horse. And um, mm. I think especially in this day and age, yeah, good advice. Analogies. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions from anyone? Stun them into silence, Gerald. You know, you did fantastically well. I never get that many questions. I'll get one if I'm lucky. You've got about six <laughs> or seven. You did fantastically well. We have we really... about 15 minutes left. If you've got any questions or anything you want to share, please do put your hand up. Just ask. Make the most of this time that we have together. Um, next week we've because got because that's why we're yeah, here. You're you're being followed by the queen, the future queen's uncle. So otherwise, I'm going to do what I always do, and I'm going to pick on you, and I'm going to say you need to ask a question. I want to ask one question. By the way, I'm not sure if it's appropriate, but I'll, I'll give it a try. That's okay. 
Go for it. Thanks, Janet. And uh, thanks for coming here, first of all. It's really nice listening from you. It's very inspirational. Uh, we definitely have a lot to learn. And uh, my question is really a little bit too different. Uh, I'm in the stage where I'm just kind of uh, started my business a, a few years ago and I'm, now I'm trying to grow and I'm getting appointments, uh, consultations like sales calls booked so every day. Today I have four. But um, my, my closing rate is not as good as it used to be when I was having less calls. And I I now started studying again about sales and how to make it because I, I, I kind of blame myself for that. I feel like uh, the pressure and, and responsibilities on me uh, make it make it very hard for me for me sometimes to really spot my my mistakes during sales calls and and that leads to not closing as as efficiently as I, I I want to and I wonder when will be the right time for me to explore having somebody else to 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 close these sales who is totally invested in being good at just that. And it's mm. not straight everything else, or should I just is is that a good maybe something I should consider, or should I just uh, continue and trying to better myself and uh, really get get on top of that problem? Yeah, What's your opinion on that? Yeah, great. No, it's a good question actually. And sales is an interesting area, isn't it? Uh, is it Peter or, or Peta? How do I pronounce Peter, it? Peter. Peter is fine. Peter. Okay. Um. Yeah. It's it's an interesting area because sales is it you know it is a skill actually it is a skill to to sell and to close um and it's not something that everyone naturally enjoys doing um so i i hear it quite a lot i mean i think in terms of sort of yourself you were saying that you were getting a higher closing rate historically so it's probably worth just trying to understand what was the difference between then versus now um, and, and just sort of really trying to pin that down. I would also probably, cate- I don't know if you do this, categorize your leads in terms of sort of, you know, priority one, two, three. So hot, hot, lukewarm, medium, lukewarm, um, because the approach that you take and the effort you put into it would be different depending on sort of, you know, the the the, the strength of the lead. So I think differentiating your leads can be helpful. Um, in respect to you know, when should you bring someone in to help you, that can be a great thing. But that obviously depends on where you are financially in the business. You know, so can you, you know, have you got, is, is your P&L strong enough in order for you to justify bringing someone on? I mean, what I would say is the great thing about salespeople is they're very used to working on a commission basis, um, now, that might not be solely commission. It might be a low base and then a commission based on success rate. Um, but, you know, you 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 have a bit more flexibility in terms of how you you structure a package with someone that's that allows that, you know, that flexibility based on on performance and success. Uh, but as to whether you're at the right stage, I, you know, I don't know without knowing more about your business, uh, Peter, in terms of where you're sitting financially. But I would probably focus on on your your strong lead yourself and understand why you were closing at a higher late higher level than before and seeing if you some of those lessons you can bring back in um so sometimes it's around confidence and mindset isn't it you know if you really believe in your product and you're you're you you don't you're not doing a, a 
push, push, push. You're doing a lot more probing with the client and understanding what their problems are and how you can solve them, a lot more listening. If you're slightly more relaxed about it, then sometimes you have a higher success rate. Whereas if we feel under pressure, we can sometimes feel a little bit more, a bit more forced. Um, but that, yeah, those are some of the things I would, I would probably think about, Peter. Mm-hmm. Thanks. What, yeah. What is, what is your, what is your business? Online fitness coaching for men. So it's online uh, fitness coaching, right? Yeah, it's very personal usually. Um, that's why I'm very reluctant in hiring a salesperson. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. But, it has to happen anyway at some point. Uh, I just, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe maybe you bring someone, again, have a think about the type of person that you might want to bring into the business, someone that's kind of, you know, understands the industry and has got that track record that you've got in terms of fitness. I mean, also, I, I suppose it's it's maybe focus on a particular demographic. You know, if you look at someone like, I don't know if you've heard of Billy Schwer, who's an ex-boxer, he focuses on the middle-aged man. You know, yeah, I do that. On... Yeah. So, so again, you know, if someone who, a, a guy who's in their twenties or thirties or fifties is going to want different things, aren't they? From from their their kind of training and their fitness. Yeah. Yeah, valuable. Definitely give me think about it. Yeah. Gerald, anything anything to add? You're into your fitness and, you you know, you used to have the, the gym as well. Yeah, well, Peter and I have been talking about this for a while and uh, I suggested to him that the way that we're now thinking is everything has to be online. Whatever it is, however we sell anything has to be online. Mm. I don't even think there's still a world out there that still exists. So we worked on a flyer, an old-fashioned flyer, Instead, which incidentally, Peter, you can put on, you can put that online as well. You can see it's a great uh, flyer, which you can just put on, on LinkedIn or whatever as well. But yeah, we we, we produced a, um, oh, Peter's produced a fantastic flyer with a picture of himself on it with his muscles and everything, which you'll put through letterboxes. But sometimes mm. the old fashioned way of selling um, works. Yeah. I'd also like to add something about selling is... If you're selling anything and you're asking somebody a question and you're trying to sell something, whether it's a car, whatever it is, or a property, never ask them a question where they can answer no to as an answer. So like I used to, I had this shopping center once in Tobacco Dodge, complete disaster. Um, and if I was selling a shop in Tobacco Dock, I wouldn't say, do you want a shop in Tobacco Dock? I would say, would you rather be upstairs or downstairs? Because in a way, what you're selling to somebody, they don't know themselves whether they want to buy. When you walk into a shop, you don't know whether you're going to come out and buy or, or not. But if you put it into their head that they can say no, you're oh, well, I'm not going to buy it then because you've said no, you've convinced yourself. So never, ever ask them a question um, that they can say no to. Always yeah. ask the question they're going to end up saying yes to. And then that in their psyche, they'll say, yes, I am buying this. Yeah, and I think scarcity as well, isn't it? There's something unique, you know, that gives them the impetus to to to, to book now or to, to buy now, you know, whether it's a special offer, whether it's a limited number of places. People don't want to miss out. Everyone has FOMO, right? 
And even 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 affluent, you know, an affluent product, people still want to deal. It's just human nature. They want to feel like they've got something, something extra, something special. So, you know, I don't know, again, Peter, that, you know, whether in your closing and what you're offering, whether there's scarcity and whether there's an element of, you know, if you book today, you get X extra or X. It doesn't yeah. have to be a discount off the price, but something to close the deal, because otherwise, why should they do it now? To be honest, that's I do apply the scarcity works pretty well uh, when we're trying to get them on the call. Uh, when I want to attract them, um, it works well. But when it comes to the closing stage of the final bit, uh, my scarcity always comes around like some. They can almost twist it and make it last for 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 another week, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So I can offer them. Uh, yeah, I will. Today, today I had a call with a guy. He he pulled the card out and um, he was ready to pay. And I asked him for the CVC number, entered all the card details. And then, then oh, I can't give you that. I was like, okay, so how do we deal with that? Really, I, I didn't know what to do exactly. So I sent him a link and I, I, I to assure him, I told him, look, you join now. Don't worry about it. Uh, and uh, I will put in written form. I will give you all the money back within a month. If you're not happy with our service, how is that? And he was like, "Okay, let's do it." And I was, I was happy. Uh, another client, I just needed. It's a thousand pound deal. It's, it's, it's good. That, that's and, excellent. But I always feel people are always worried about offering their money back. It's amazing how many people don't ask for their money back. So it's, they never it's ask. Would so they? much worth offering. Yeah. If, if, yeah. People who want the money back, usually the young guys, uh, the kind of uh, you can feel them with a little bit of experience that they just want to to get the deal. So I never offer the money back right from the start. But if I see he's serious, he, I'll do it anyway. I I did made this amazing proposal, and and at the end he said I has to think about it by the end of the day, and I couldn't make him sign up, and he was so close, and my scarcity was that. <laughs> Mm. sometimes sometimes you just have to know when to walk away as well peter do you know what i mean sometimes people just genuinely aren't going to buy and they're not going to buy you know and i it's like when i when i i i don't pitch my mentoring people approach me and ask if i will mentor them you know and i'm very relaxed about it and i say listen i'm not for everyone it's an investment it's a big investment financially investment in 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 you know time commitment and money you know and and i'm quite relaxed about it and actually i don't push for the sale for me personally with what i'm i'm selling it's like it's a high high ticket item right so i want people that are fully committed but the number of people that do come back to me because i haven't been too push 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 i've had three people come back to me in the last three months say that i spoke to a while ago saying i'm ready now and, you know, so sometimes people are never going to buy and that's fine. Let them go. Other times they may come back to you later. But I think if you can close with the urgency right there and then, then that's the right thing to do. Absolutely. But don't beat yourself up. Right. No is one one step further to a yes. No. And once you've closed, then yeah. shut up because there's no upside after that. Once they've said yes and you've sold it, there's yeah. only one thing they can do is change their mind. They're not going to buy it twice. So. Uh, people do make that mistake that they've sold it and then they go on rabbiting on about how wonderful it is and they might then say something to put them off. So just shut up. Once you've sold it, that's it. Done. 
I've got to learn that because I've got somebody phoning me up at 11.30 offering me a speech. And as soon as they say, yeah, go ahead, we're going ahead, I'll say goodbye. Thanks. <laughs> right. <laughs> Natalie, over to you to close it all up. And it's been a great, great event. I was just going to say before you interrupted me, the next week we've got the Queen's, the future Queen's uncle. I'm not name dropping or anything, um, but we have um and so don't miss that one it won't be, but Jeanette it'll, this one will take a lot of beating because you've kept us absolutely gripped for the whole hour and a half and we so much appreciate um having you on and it's just been very inspiring just fantastic um just full of wisdom and tips and so many things that I've learned and will take away from so uh, we really appreciate it and uh fantastic we've got you know that we um, we know you and that you've come in here and uh, contributed so much to our group. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And Natalie, very welcome. Been fantastic. Thank you both. Thank you, everyone. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.